It's about to get real with the MTV original reality TV star OGs, John and Beth, as they chat with great guests to discuss reality TV, music, pop culture, and real world life. Pick up your phone and go to wherever you get your podcast. Search for Getting Real with John and Beth. Turn it up. Getting Real starts now. So, John, I'm scrolling through social media, and I don't know if you saw this, but Wes, who was on The Real World Austin, and he is a fierce competitor on the challenge shows, he's saying that he's retiring. Well, it's probably time for him to retire. It's probably time for some some of these guys that have been on there for all these years to retire. But, you know... These reality stars nowadays, they, they just, they just keep on going like the Energizer bunny, right? They sure do. And you know, a lot of, a lot of people who say that they're retiring actually come back. I mean, I remember Mark Long saying that he was going to retire and he's back. He's back. And uh, he's back in a big way. Yeah. He's back in a big way. And I think that Wes is going to come back. That's my prediction. Well, it's kind of like Michael Jordan, Garth Brooks, you retire, you take a break and then you realize I didn't want to retire. I got to go back and I got to do this whole thing again. But, you know, this marks 30 years since we first lived in the real world house in Venice Beach, California on the groundbreaking first reality show of all time. Second season, we were on the real world and I can't believe it's been three entire decades. Beth, today... I'm super excited about our guest because we have not only the creator of the real world, but therefore the creator really of all of reality television. And his name is John Murray. And so he created Bunum Murray Productions with Mary Alice Bunum. And we are super excited to have an iconic television guest today with us. Welcome, John Murray. Thanks for being with us. I'm just trying to control my swelled head. Um, hey. thank you. <laughs> Great to be with both of you. I have fond memories of our time together in Los Angeles. How many years ago? 30. 30, 30, 30 years. Oh my God. How old am I? Hey. <laughs> I remember my very first conversation with you, John. Mary Alice Bunum is who really I spoke to the most. And then all of a sudden my small hometown in Owensboro, Kentucky wanted to show a clip of the original New York real world and say, Hey, one of our young people is going to be on the next season. And we wanted to show a clip of it. And I had to call you and ask. And you said, as long as they put courtesy of MTV networks, it won't be a problem if it's a short clip. And I said, by the way, nice to meet you. And and you couldn't have been nicer. And I couldn't have been less prepared for what I was about to embark into. But wow, what an amazing journey you've put many, many, many reality stars on now. But, you know, Beth and I were amongst the eighth to, you know, 16th reality star on the planet, the, the first seven being the New York real world. And what we really want to know, and I think our listeners want to know is how did the idea for the real world even develop? How did you get into partnership with Mary Ellis Bunum and structure Bunum Murray Productions and then end up with a crazy show and a crazy idea like the real world? Yeah, well, like a lot of good things, it took time. We got together five years before The Real World went on the air to develop a couple ideas for television. She had been in daytime soap operas. I had worked in television news and documentaries. And we had this idea of doing these, doing sort of a documentary, but the idea of casting it and 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 scoring it, music and sort of uh, telling the story the way a, a drama is told or a comedy is told, but doing it with real people. Um, so we were working on some ideas and quite honestly, not having a lot of success. I was living in a garage apartment, driving a 12-year-old car, you know, 
Mary Alice was struggling to put, you know, her daughter through school and, you know, pay her mortgage. And so it was tough. And uh, we got this call from MTV that wanted a scripted soap opera about young people starting out their lives in New York. And Mary Alice was the perfect pers person to help them with it. And so she started working with them. They developed a script, uh, which was pretty good. It was called St. Mark's Place. And it was about a bunch of young people down in the Lower East Side of New York, sort of taking those first steps on their own. And they were all sort of artistic and stuff. And MTV really liked the script, but ultimately they just said they couldn't afford a scripted show. So we like said, well, I won't say it because I don't you know, it's a family podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we after we picked ourselves off the floor, we said, well, what if we sort of took that idea, those ideas we've been working on and pitched them the idea of an unscripted soap? You know, what if we put six or seven people together in a house, chose them from different walks of life, people who wouldn't normally live together, you get a lot of conflict and that conflict result in growth and that growth could be our story arc. So we flew to New York and at the Mayflower Hotel, which has since been torn down on Central Park West, we met with Lauren Correo and pitched her the idea of the real world. And she looked at us, she said, oh my God. I lived that when I first, and she, she said she had lived it when she had first moved to New York and she wow. completely got what we were trying to do. She went down the hall later that day, talked to Doug Herzog. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, let's, maybe we'll shoot a pilot. And so they pulled some money together. We got some high eight cameras and over a long Memorial Day weekend, we moved six people in, shot a lot of video, got this wonderful editor, Alan Cohn to edit it. And we ended up putting together two 22-minute episodes. It tested through the roof. And even then, MTV was like, mm, I don't know if we want to do this. You're, we're used wow. to pay, you know, we're used to having free show. I don't know. That's a lot of money. And it really wasn't a lot of money. But anyway, but ultimately, at the last minute, just before their potential rights to the show could run out, Fox was waiting to see whether they could pick it up. MTV said yes. And the rest is history. Wow, I mean, so it was you. almost on Fox. They were interested because this guy, Joe Gavola, who used to work uh -huh. at MTV, had gone to Fox. So he was really interested in it. They didn't get it because I don't know whether it would have been successful on Fox. I think MTV was the perfect place for it. And, you know, overnight when that show went on the air, bang, it raised the ratings by, you know, they were three times the normal ratings when the show went on the air. So MTV was the right place. That's the kind of behind the scene things that we, we don't, we don't hear. I never have heard in 30 years that, that Fox was being pitched that, but I agree with you. MTV was, was the groundbreaking network. And that was the place for the show, especially because so many young people were watching. Right. How did you actually, you're like, okay, now we have to cast this, but how did you find the first seven strangers? How did that well, happen? Did you, and who did you find first? Yeah. I mean, we, you know, this was the time before social media. There was no Facebook. There was no Instagram. Uh, so we would have casting. We had a casting department and Tracy Fiss ran it. And she ran all over New York. Mary Ellis and I ran all over New York. We had a bunch of PAs running around New York and we were handing people flyers. Or we were putting up something in a laundromat where young people, you know, who don't have washers and dryers have to wash their clothes in New York City. And you peeled off the little telephone number to call if you were interested. And, of course, some people like Heather B goes, oh, free rent. That could be good. <laughs> she wasn't quite sure what the TV show was, but she knew she could get some free rent. 
So yeah, so it was hard because we had to explain to people what we were making and Heather B was like, wait a minute, is this porn? What is this? <laughs> so there was a lot of like either I don't quite get it or like, what are you really doing? You know, and at the same time, we were out looking for a location. And that was a funny thing because one of the locations we looked at, we ended up not going with the location, but we really liked Norm Corpy. And we said, hey, you should come in for an interview. So anyway, so and then we also said, well, we need some people who are new to New York, sort of that fish out of water. So I went to Austin and I went to Birmingham and we worked with a local radio station and they put some promos on. And this young woman, Julie Oliver, heard the promo and she hightailed it into the radio station on her way back from college or something. And she walked in and she was so open and funny and curious. And she was like, she just like, oh my, said, she's amazing. I told Mary Ellis and she certainly was. So what made you choose Birmingham? Just curious. We wanted two places, Birmingham and Austin, where there were a lot of young people and where there might be some young people who might want to go to New York City for artistic reasons. Like Julie wanted to go to New York to study dance at Broadway Dance. So, yeah, so that was because remember that first season we were trying to cast mostly people who were sort of in music and writing and arts. So did you watch the show? And I mean, when I watched the first season of the New York Real World, laughed hysterically at Heather. I thought she was hilarious. Every time she said anything, spoke or did anything, did you, was there a moment during production where you, you looked at Mary Ellis and or MTV and said, this is working in a big way. Like this is better than we thought. Well, we knew it was working in the pilot. I mean, we sort of had that moment in when we were making the pilot. And then when we, you know, brought everybody together for the real show for the first season, yeah, it was very quick that we sort of looked at each other and said, wow, this is this is so different, so fresh. I just haven't seen anything like it on television. Um, <laughs> and MTV, you know, part of the, the success of it was that, you know, not only was it a success in ratings, but it branded the network as being sort of this cool place where you find programming that you can't find anywhere else. And mm. rather than turn to some 40-year-old to write a story about young people. We had real young people who watch MTV letting us see their story come to life. So groundbreaking and so important to television and especially reality TV. We're talking to John Murray and really co-creator of The Real World and co-creator, therefore, of all of reality TV. We're going to be right back after this break. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. 
I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back with Getting Real. We've got executive producer and creator John Murray of The Real World and so many other real world shows. I'm going to brand you the king of reality TV. Absolutely. Without (laughs) you, without you, seriously, like, I don't even know if reality TV would exist. You know, and can I just say it's so amazing. You two look exactly like you looked. Uh In fact, you look better than you looked when you were on The Real World. It's amazing. I guess reality TV is good for looking good. Yeah, we, we'll let you say that. If you wanted to say it twice, it would be okay. <laughs> Maybe we just pick people who have good genes. I don't know. Yeah, which all yeah. Looks so yeah. Aww, well, when you got ready to do season two after season one of The Real World was such a huge success, you know, feel like maybe I was cast because country music had exploded in popularity. And I was also from Kentucky and, and you know, I was kind of the Julia Oliver of season two. But what, what made you pick some of the my other cast members and and was it just a no-brainer hey we're going to do the second one in los angeles and it's going to be even more diverse or how was how was the mindset yeah well we had this whole thing of like well what do we do like when real world new york came to an end do do we use the same people for season two like you know the way the housewives do and we were like well their story is sort of done i mean we've sort of sort of seen this process of Julie opening up to New York and learning and growing. We've, we've told Kevin Powell's story and, you know, we've, we've sort of done that. And so we said, well, maybe we need each season to have a new cast and that new cast will keep redefining the show, giving us fresh stories, new, 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 a new look into what it's like to be 18 to 24. And, and at that very moment in sort of, people growing up. And so we made the decision to go with a new new cast. And we were a little worried that people wouldn't like watch the new cast. So we actually flew to New York and we did a reunion special with the season one cast. And I tossed them a few little bits of information about all of you. And so you see on that little special, well, I heard there's a country singer. And, you know, because they were like speculating on these, these new kids who, of course, wouldn't be at half as good as they were. So anyway, but one of the things we did in season two, which I think maybe if I had to do it over again, I might not have done it that way. I think we probably went a little too hard at finding people who would have from different worlds and who would have potential conflict. And I think what we learned from season two is that 
you always have to have enough ties that will bind people so that if they have the conflict, they'll come together. And I think what you saw in season two was you saw some different factions in the house. And rather than try to work out their issues, sometimes they just sort of ignored each other and they went their own separate ways. And so um, I think season two had some issues and it was our fault that it had that issues because I think, you know, we worked too hard. Now in season three, even though Pedro and Rachel were very different, one was sort of liberal, one was conservative. They both had that background of being Latino, Hispanic. So that held them together. So I think we learned that we have to make sure we find people. Yes, they may be different from different worlds, but they have to have some things that will hold them together the way you hold a family together. Wow, that's so profound because I think that's so right on. Beth was part of those factions and therefore didn't have some relationships or not strong relationships with people in the house until our homecoming a couple of years ago, where that kind of came full circle. Beth, do you agree? I mean, that that kind of was, you know, spot on for our season. Well, I mean, look, I mean, I remember that when I was going through the audition process, I just remember talking about how like, because I, I mean, and I, music is a huge part of my life. I love music, but the only music that I really do not enjoy is country music, right? <laughs> And I, and you guys were like, well, what don't you like about country music? And I'm like, I don't know. I just, cause at that time, you know, the, the line dancing was in and I was like, just not into that. I don't like guys who wear Wranglers. It's just a big turnoff to me. I can't, and just, I, I don't enjoy it. And then living with John, I mean, John and I couldn't be any closer. We have so many differences between us, but we're, we have remained tight friends for 30 years. So yeah, in well, our, John, in John our case, was, it worked. Yeah, John was pretty much Switzerland. He was pretty much friends with everybody in the house. I mean, he had a little friction sometimes with David, but overall, you were you were sort of the person who kept relationships. And part of that, I think, was because you were such a fish out of water. And a lot of the other ones did already have some relationship to L.A. And yeah. so, you know, you were always in the house. You were always available, John, to just yeah. like in a way like Julie was. Right. Well, and I also saw that as that was the mission of the project to find out what right. happens when you coexist with people that are nothing like you. So don't just avoid somebody that you don't like. You've got to, yeah. you know, but I think uh, you and Julie had that same idea. You were both very dedicated to the mission of the project hmm. and we're really trying to make that happen. Now, we were a little frustrated with you, John, because sometimes you spent a lot of time on that couch. And it's yeah. partly your fault that we didn't put TVs in the house anymore because we didn't want people watching TV. <laughs> well, you, and you we were in... always trying to push you out there. So, John, you need yeah. to go out and do some like the yeah. music. Yeah. I mean, you put <laughs> it, it was you tough put... because L.A. wasn't a big country music place. Oh, and I didn't have a vehicle and I had just graduated high school. You put an 18 year old on a television show and then you say, by the way, don't watch the television show that you're on because there's a whole first season that you're really curious about and you can't watch it. I'm like. Okay. Yeah. It was crazy. It was crazy, but man. So, you know, reality TV took off John. And I mean, you did huge, probably even larger reality shows than even the real world. Right. So, I mean, what are your, what are your big successes that you went on to do outside of the real world that were reality television shows? Yeah. Well, we did, you know, following real world, we did road rules, which was really sort of one of the first reality shows where you didn't just take six people or something and have them live together. We sent them out on missions mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and they were designed to sort of, again, sort of take these people and help them grow and change and mature and, and sort of uh, become more worldly. 
And then, of course, we did The Simple Life, which, you know, was sort of the first reality comedy where, you know, we sent Paris and Nicole off to a farm in Altus, Arkansas, these two city slickers. <laughs> and, you know, each week the family would have a job for them to try out. So there was a little structure in there and it was funny. And it was sort of the first reality comedy. And I remember in the edit room trying to figure out sort of the comedy of, of you know, because a lot of it we'd shot single camera. And with comedy, comedy is so much about action, reaction. And so we would sometimes have to take those, that one camera shots and figure out, well, where's the reaction shot? So we learned that first season of Simple Life, you always need two cameras on a scene because it's reaction, it's action, reaction. And then we did this wonderful Making the Band where we put together Motown in 1999. That was before American Idol. The auditions were amazing. Why we didn't realize, oh my, we should do a show that's just focused on auditions. And we would have had American Idol. <laughs> That'll never um, work. That'll never and work. then we did Starting Over where, you know, a group of women lived together and they worked with two life coaches. And we did that for NBC syndication. And, and that was the show more than any other show where people would come up and say, you changed my life. Being on Starting Over sort of unstuck me. It got me moving again. It was such a breakthrough for me. So yeah, so yeah, and then we went on to uh, take over Project Runway, which was a lot of fun. Then of course, the big show, The Kardashians, mm -hmm. keeping up with The Kardashians. And a lot of listeners and viewers probably don't realize that all of those were Buna Murray productions. All yes. of those stemmed from the success of you know, your experiment on MTV in 1992 with the real world. And so how did the Kardashians come about? How did you end up? In sure, sure. Well, we had had at E, Fox canceled The Simple Life. A new person came in charge, Peter Liguri, and he said, oh, I don't really like this reality stuff. <laughs> and he was getting like 14 million viewers. And oh so he God. canceled it. And so and he put on some, some sitcom that probably failed. Anyway, so... Nice guy, but you're not bitter, are you? Know, you? No, not a bit. Well, actually, it opened a door. You know, uh -huh. they always say, look at the opportunity. And the opportunity was Lisa Berger, who had been an exec for us when we were doing real world in San Francisco and a couple other cities. She said, Hey, we might like that simple life on E in our Sunday 10 o'clock time period. It could really be sort of a celeb reality hour. And so E bought. The Simple Life from us and our partner, 20th Century Fox Studio, and they put it in that slot. And then a couple years later, I get this call from Lisa again. She goes, Ryan Seacrest is in my office and he has this tape of this Kardashian family. And we had met Kim because she had been on The Simple Life because she, she had a business where she'd help you organize your closet and she had worked with Paris. And so they sent the tape over and, and I looked at the tape and they were like the perfect reality sitcom. There was the mom and your mother. There were the three beautiful daughters. There was the conservative dad. There were the two younger daughters who would become billionaires. Anyway, they were amazing. And I said, Lisa, there is totally a show here and we'd love to produce it. Ryan didn't really have a production company at that point. So we partnered with Ryan and E and, you know, by Monday, I think I saw the tape on a Friday, and by Monday, we had worked out a deal and we were in production. Wow. Incredible. Wow. Okay. And so with Kim Kardashian, what is the truth about this, the story that she actually wanted to be on The Real World? What's that story? I don't remember that. I don't remember her auditioning for The Real World. 
So it's certainly possible she could have sent a tape in, but I don't remember. I think she had gone on record as saying yeah, recently she had in an said, interview. Like she, she wanted, wanted to be, to be on, on the a... real. Yeah, she said, I wanted to be on the real world. So I was just curious what season. Yeah. So you're welcome, America. Yeah. So that's, that's, <laughs> he doesn't remember. Do you, John, do you remember a Dave Chappelle hanging around our real world house? I, you know, Dave Chappelle. Yeah, because 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 David Edwards always tells me about that. And when we did your real world homecoming season, we went through all of the tape looking for Dave Chappelle because we were like, oh, boy, let's see if we can find it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if we I don't think we found it. Yeah, he was hanging out. He hung out a lot. Yeah. But it was before he was famous together. um, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why we couldn't find it. When you look back on all of the real worlds that have ever been made. What what is your highlight moments where you're like, that was magic when that happened? I mean, there's so many. There are so many magical moments. You know, I remember season one, the argument between Kevin and Julie. There was a, you know, the riots were going on in L.A. And they were discussing really important issues uh, in terms of the way black and white people relate to each other. And, you know, at some point in the conversation, Kevin says, let's take this outside. And so at that time, we used to have cameras hardwired. So we're throwing the cable out the window, down two stories to the ground. The cameraman's running down the stairs. He's hooking the camera back up and bang, we're, we're, we're shooting this, this conversation, this almost argument between these two people as L.A.'s on fire. You know, and we're in New York and a crowd is gathering. And at some point, I think Kevin said, maybe we should take this back upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were, you know, anyway, but it was amazing television. They were both so articulate and interesting, their points of view. I loved it when Real World did things like that. Uh, you know, I think in your season, season two, Tammy finding herself with an unplanned pregnancy, you know, you and Tammy had such a wonderful relationship. And, and although you didn't agree with her decision, you weren't going to abandon your friend. And I really thought that told that story in such more humane way than a lot of people just yelling at each other. Absolutely. Uh, and so I was really proud of, of, of that story. And then, of course, season three with Pedro and, you know, this young man who had HIV and developing AIDS and his roommates supporting him through it. And you know, just very powerful and uh, woke a lot of young people up to the uh, importance of safe sex and protecting yourself. Yeah. So you've just mentioned in the first three seasons of the real world, the first reality show ever, you just mentioned race relations, abortion and AIDS and homosexuality in the first three seasons. We're talking about the very early nineties. I mean, these were, these are still topics by the way. And I mean, they're still relevant and you were talking about them and making TV shows with real people in real conversations before anybody else did that. It was brave. Actually, it was a very brave, risky thing well, to do. And you know, what's amazing is we really didn't get any negative mail. Our audience was totally open to it. And I think it was because it was real. We didn't like plan those conversations. We didn't plan Tammy to have an you know, unplanned pregnancy. We didn't set that stuff up. It just happened. And it reflected what young, what young people were going through. Yeah, it was actually very, very real, almost too real and just so raw. I think that's why people wanted to watch it. I mean, people still come up to Beth and I and they're like, man, I remember when this happened. And it's so crazy to think they weren't there, but they really know all about it. Right. And we really worked very hard to try and tell the stories as sensitively as possible. 
and you know not to take sides and to just sort of let those stories sort of stand for themselves and let the audience sort of watch and sort of how would I handle that? What do I think of that? You know, well, I, I think you did too. I get that question more than anything when people talk to me or recognize me. They say, "How was it? Was it actually real?" And I, I always look. You saw a highlight. You saw an edited version of real events. I mean, it was edited to make it interesting on TV, and they had to compile it in a twenty-two minute episode. So nothing that you saw didn't happen. It happened. Right. And right. so it was very real and so representative of of today's culture. Now, now reality TV has has gone on to evolve and change. Do you, when you watch reality TV, do you go, well, that's not quite as raw as it used to be, or or how have you seen it change, the genre change that you created? You know, I, I wish there was more experimentation. I wish there was more opportunity for shows like The Real World. It seems as we've gone forward, you know, the networks and streamers are more interested in formats. They sort of want to know what's going to happen before you even shoot it. The idea of just sort of letting the drama unfold by itself and then going in an edit room and fig- finding the story there, there really isn't a place for that. They want to know like, okay, what's, you know, what's, what's the big moment in each episode before we even shoot it? Um, so yeah, it's gotten much more challenging. I feel very fortunate that we had so many years where we just got to, you know, shoot it and just let it happen and then go find the the important story within what we shot. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. We're with John Murray and you're listening to Getting Real. We'll be right back. Okay. Getting Real with John and Beth. We've got executive producer and creator of reality TV, John Murray, who created the real world and the challenge shows. John, let me ask you, Watching, looking back at our 1993 season of The Real World, we got to do a reunion a few years ago. Uh, what's your 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 take on us in 1993 versus now? Wow. Um, I think you have all grown a lot. I mean, I think what we hoped with The Real World is that by exposing you to people different from yourselves, that you would grow from that experience and look at these relationships that have stood the test of time. And what was really exciting about bringing everybody back together, I really felt this with you, Beth, is that I felt like you have grown so much and you are you are so much, to me, more authentic person than you were. I think you were still sort of trying to figure out who's Beth and you're so comfortable with yourself. And it was interesting to watch the roommates like realize that and you know, sort of embrace you in a way that some of them hadn't embraced you all those years ago. Yeah, I mean, I was just watching you all and who you've all become. I felt so proud of you all because you really are all incredibly special. Well, I just think that in 1993, I just, I did not have the tools to communicate. I mean, I was, I was completely lost. You know, I'm living with Tammy who's drop dead gorgeous and she's getting her mouth wired shut and I'm just like looking at myself like, oh, my gosh. I mean, if this girl thinks that she needs to get her mouth wired shut, I mean, look at me. So, you know, I was going through a lot of things, but didn't really have that many besides John to like really discuss like, you know, deep down what I was going through. And so it was really nice for me. I'm so thankful for you putting that reunion together because I had an opportunity to really talk to my roommates again and be reunited with Glenn. I just, you know, we couldn't stand each other. And, and, you know, just to see who Glenn has become today, he's a family man and being able to, to talk through things. 
I mean, I, I am disappointed. I tried talking to David on several occasions, trying to tell him, look, you know, I'm here if you want to talk. I understand you're angry. Let's talk about it. I mean, uh, he just unfortunately was not in a in a place. And, you know, I hope that someday we'll be able to squash all that. I really do. Were you guys freaking out, John, when when it was, you know, the whole Tammy blanket incident happened and then all the ladies were like, look, we want him out of the house. Were you guys, did you guys powwow and go, oh my goodness, this is not an elimination reality show. That hadn't been created yet. This is where they're supposed to stay in the house and deal with each other. And now they're talking about either he leaves or I leaves. Were you guys having a oh crap moment? Yeah, there? we weren't quite sure how to handle it because it really hadn't happened before. And, you know, in our ideal world, the roommates, we always wanted to let the roommates work out their issues with each other. And, you know, David had been challenging to live with. And the question was, you know, are some of the roommates using this as a vehicle to get him out of the house? But at the same time, he had had some volatile moments. So it was a very difficult situation because it was just very challenging for us to navigate our way through. And the show gets hugely popular. Our season did, the next season got more so, and it just seemed like the momentum and as awareness of what this crazy show was, it got super popular. Did you all find yourselves having a hard time casting people that had not seen the show and said, oh, they just want to be on the real world because now they realize it's a really cool show and they're going to be instantly famous. Did you run into that obstacle as seasons went on? Yeah, as the show went on and became very popular, it became more challenging to cast it. So, you know, we used to always do those big open calls with people showing up and, and, and we sort of moved away from that over time. And we used, as the internet developed, we used social media to go out and find people who necessarily didn't plan on applying to the show. But they had interesting stories that we were seeing on the Internet. We we're saying, oh, they could be an interesting person. So, yeah, we had to work much harder to really test sort of who is this person? What is their motivation for doing this? You know, and to some extent, it's OK if someone's motivation is that they want to be seen. They want their story to be told. I mean, Pedro definitely used us to tell his story but at the same time he was his authentic self he wasn't acting for us he wasn't trying to give us something that he thought we wanted he wasn't trying to play a character and we had to really make sure we found people who were going to be their authentic selves that they weren't going to give us their version of beth or john yeah did you ever find we've heard this phrase you know pebble in the pond was the has there has there you know been times that you recall that you said hey we, we need to stoke the fire just a little, little bit and, 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 and we need to maybe, maybe make something happen because it's not, it's getting a little boring. No, we only made that mistake the first season where we had never done it before. And after about two weeks, nothing happened. And what we know now is that when you've got a bunch of people living together and there's conflict, at some point, everybody's exhausted and they just need to take some time to recover and recharge their batteries. And we sort of panicked that first season. We go, oh my God, what do we do? And we had told MTV, well, if nothing happens, we'll throw a pebble in the pond. And so we put that book of Bear Pond, a naked shot of Eric in there and Heather found it and she had a field day. And Eric didn't blame Heather, he blamed us for putting the book in there. So we went in, we apologized and we did not use that uh, in the episode and we destroyed the tape. Because uh, I went back to look for the tape when we did the homecoming thing, you know, it does not exist. Wasn't, wasn't there. If it's so not speak, on tape, speaking, it didn't happen. 
Speaking of reunion shows, do you think there is a future for real world homecomings the other seasons? You know, I would love to see more homecoming episodes. I thought the New Orleans one was really good too. And so far, it seems like Paramount Plus has sort of put a pause on it. So I don't know. You know, that's the same thing with the streamers. They really don't tell you what's going on. And you don't see ratings, so you have no idea how your show did. All you get is like word of mouth from people. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe Life we'll get is, the call. Or, or you know, I know like strange. some seasons, like all the cast members maybe not agreeing to do it. I mean, you could take cast members from different seasons and throw them together. That would be a great experiment, John Murray. Yeah, I mean, we get a little <laughs> of that with the challenge. But, yeah. you know, I'm sort of retired now. So yeah. that is, someone else can take that on. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm developing plays and musicals for the theater. I've decided to, you know, television wasn't hard enough, so I decided to go into theater. Oh, my wow. gosh, I love that. Are you currently working on something right now? Yeah, we have four shows in development. So we use Provincetown, Massachusetts, which is sort of the home of the American theater where Eugene O'Neill and others... Tennessee Williams all did work out here back in the starting in the 20s and 30s and 40s. And we develop the stuff out here and then we take it to New York and uh, see if we find other people who share our passion for it. So it's exciting. One thing that I loved about the homecoming was that we were sent to an organization, a nonprofit, and, and it was a, an organization that you're on the board of where we were serving the community. Can you tell us about that? Well, I'm not on the board, but we are we we are very involved with their work. I think you went to do work for Project Angel Food. Exactly. Yes. The, yeah, they started when AIDS was happening back in the 90s, and they would uh, make and deliver food to people who were very ill. And as you know, we got sort of control of AIDS, and we had the cocktail which could treat people. They expanded to serve meals to anyone out there who's 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 facing a health crisis and needs a healthy meal. And they're a remarkable organization, Project Angel Food. And I was so glad you guys got to go there and deliver some meals and and sort of experience the work they do. They're amazing. Yeah, they are amazing. And it was really important for us to band together and do that. Anytime that you can serve an organization that is serving so many is really important to do. So thank you for that opportunity. As you look back, John, do you have any regrets or, hey, I wish I could have had a do-over on The Real World or any other show that you were producer of that you could have said, I missed it there, should have done it this way? I think there were always, you know, there were occasional times where I remember the Chicago season of Real World and I, looking at it as it aired, I was saying, mm, I think we could have been a little more sensitive to a couple of the cast members in terms of we didn't necessarily need to show some stuff that we showed in terms of, uh, you know, where they were getting hot and heavy with someone, you know, maybe we could have been a little more like pull the camera back and just, you know, so there were times when, when in hindsight, I might've done something different. I think we all uh, have to admit there, there are those times in our lives and we try to, you know, you try to learn from that so that the next time you make better choices. But overall, I'm very proud of, of the work all of us did at Buna Murray I really do think we, more so than a lot of reality production companies, we really were interested in, in the people who were on our shows. And we tried to always show them in their best light. And we tried, if they, if they acted 
you know, in a way that some people would think was inappropriate. We tried to understand why they acted that way. And we certainly tried to show if they learned from that experience. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a, you know, my, my, I don't know how many years I was in reality TV, but there was never a dull moment. And, you know, I'm thin. And I think part of the reason I'm thin is because uh, that's the way I handled anxiety. I didn't eat when I got anxious, whereas other people mm. eat when they get anxious. I remember I used to joke that when I was doing the simple life with Paris and Nicole, I lost 15 pounds and I called it my Paris diet. Oh, wow. Well, Mary Ellis Bunham passed away in 2004 and such huge, important part of not just reality TV, but partnership with you at Bunham Murray Productions, which is still going extremely strong. And, you know, they always say you can measure company success or an individual success by if it continues to go strong after you've stepped away from it, then you've developed something awesome. I mean, obviously Mary Ellis was a really important person for me because she's the one that, that auditioned me here in Nashville and convinced me to be on the real world. What was your all's relationship like? Like how, I mean, it'd be like, you know, Beth and I doing a podcast, except, you know, times a million, like how did you guys work together? Like, yeah, I don't know if you ever came in our office, but Mary Ellis and I shared the same table. It was sort of our combination conference table and desk. And we shared that for the first 12 or 13 years of the company. Wow. So, you know, and in all those years, we never had an argument. We so respected each other that if we felt like, if I felt Mary Ellis had more passion to her point of view in something we were discussing, I would sort of step back and we'd go with Mary Alice's passion. And she did the same thing for me. Really, our knowledge and experience really went together so well. I mean, she was such a master storyteller, you know, having done all those soap operas. And she would always, you know, sort of ask, what's the best way to tell this story? All right, we have all the information here, but how do we tell this story so that it really engages the audience? And you should just ask such smart questions when we would sit around and look at episodes and try and figure out, you know, how to edit it. So, yes, yeah, she was remarkable. And, um, you know, and I would be more the person who would come and say, well, what if I saw this happen in the world? And do you think there's a show there? And then we'd start to play with it and, and work on it. But, yeah, it was just uh, she was I was so lucky. And I'll tell you a story. The day I, you know, we developed our first project over phone and fax. That was before, you know, Zooms and things. I was in New York working at doing programming for TV stations. And she was in L.A. having just done Santa Barbara. And so we developed over phone and fax. And then I flew into L.A. because we were going to pitch the show. And she picked me up at the airport. She's wearing a neck brace. And apparently she had done something to her neck. And I said, so we're still pitching the show? Oh, yeah. I'll just take this off each time we go in to pitch it. And sure enough, she did. She was a remarkable force of nature. Just amazing. Wow. Wow. Great story. And what a team you guys are. I mean, the real world, here we are 30 years later after the real world Los Angeles. Beth and I are doing a podcast on reality TV. And it has been such a big part of our life and our journey. And so therefore you and Mary Ellis and Buna Murray, MTV, but you as the creator, you and Mary Ellis as creator and taking a chance on casting Beth and I, we want to thank you for being on our podcast because you've been a magnificent guest. And honestly, you're, you're a big time player. And if our podcast is about reality TV, to have the creator of reality TV on here has been a real blessing. We love you. We thank you so much for investing this time and really everything that you've done for entertaining viewers 
but taking a risk on all of real world and reality stars. You took a risk in an investment in us and you know, it's changed our life and it's changed our life for the better. And just want to tell you, thank you for coming on today. I really appreciate it. You'll always be a huge part of my life. And I know Beth too. Thank you for being on Getting Real with John and Beth. John, I just, I, I want to say to you that, uh, Thank you for giving me such an incredible opportunity at such a young age. I was only in Los Angeles for six months and really has really completely changed my life. And I can't thank you enough for that. I have so much respect for you. And in a weird way, like, you know, so much about me. It's kind of weird, John. I feel like, (laughs) you know, I always want you to be proud of me, John. Oh, that's sweet. Like what you think of me matters. Yeah, well, I'm very proud of you and John and all of you. But anyway, it's, you know, it was such a great experience doing The Real World. You know, it will always be that special show to me because it was the first show. And all of you, you know, we're forever connected. And I just wish you both the best as you continue in this journey. I'm so excited about your podcast. And thank you for having me on. It was just so much fun to catch up with both of you. We've been talking to John Murray, creator of The Real World, along with Mary Ellis Bunum, creator of The Real World, and so therefore, reality TV, and it's developed, and we are so thankful. John Murray has been a great guest. Thank you for being on Getting Real, and thanks for listening. Keep it real. You've been listening to Getting Real with John and Beth on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Executive produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Edited by Michael DeVestia. Produced by Lindley Ehrlich. Hosted by Bess Delarchek and John Brennan. Be sure to follow us on social media on Instagram and TikTok. You can follow Beth at Best Real World and follow John at JohnBrennan.com. Also, follow the podcast on Instagram at Getting Real with John and Beth. Until next time, keep it real. Beth! It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.